Now, if you've been reading your Bible this week, keep holding it up. Boy, that's a good thing. Keep reading your Bible. Have your Bible open with me. Back to the book of Revelation chapter 1. We're going to use this text verse to spring from uh, the next few Sunday mornings at least uh, into this series that we're doing on Behold, He Cometh. When you find Revelation chapter 1 verse 1, if you're physically able to do so, I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet with me please out of respect of God's Word. Then we will read, I'll read the first seven verses and then you already know we're going to read verse 7 together. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto Him to show unto His servants things which must shortly come to pass. And He sent and signified it by His angel unto His servant John, who by record of the Word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that He saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in His own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see Him, and they also which pierced Him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Him. Even so, Amen. Alright, let's read verse 7 together. You ready? Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. I want you to notice the first three words of that verse. Behold, he cometh, and he's coming bodily, and that has really been the and will be the emphasis of each of these messages as we look at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and we divide it down into some different uh, time periods and, and characteristics of, of each one of these things. We're going to look at the fact that He is coming bodily and He will be seen in each one of these bodily. Father, we thank You today for allowing us to be able to come out and have this time we can be together in thy house. and Lord, you've been so good to us. We've enjoyed the sweet fellowship of God's people and the moving of the Holy Spirit in our Sunday school hour. And, oh Lord, what good sweet fellowship and the worship this morning and in the songs of Zion. And now we've come to this portion of the service where the bread of life has been broken and I have a message that I believe most assuredly that you gave me for this hour. And Father, as I stand here before thy people in thy house, I am very, very well aware again of my inability and, oh, dear Jesus, of my unworthiness to stand here. And so, Father, I would ask you once again that you'd forgive me of my sin and cleanse me with the blood of Calvary that I can be a vessel fit for thy service. Then, Holy Ghost, I pray you'd fill me with power that I can be able to speak and preach in such a manner that everyone that's under the sound of my voice would feel this message is for them and them alone. And, Lord, may the discouraged be encouraged. May the backslidden be reclaimed. Uh, Father, may the lost be saved, but most importantly and above all things, 
May Jesus Christ be uplifted and glorified, for it is in His name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We have begun to look into this thing of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And last week we looked at the very next thing that is on God's timetable, which is the calling away, or we call it the rapture. Now that is imminent. It could happen at any moment. And when Jesus comes again, then the saved are going to be called out of here and go to heaven. Now we looked at that last week, tried to look at that very biblically as how that happens. And then uh, the, the dead are raised, and uh, then the, the, the ones that are alive and remain, and we, which are alive and remain, shall go up together, will be changed, and go up together and meet the Lord in the air. Now immediately after that, there are two things that begin to happen. Immediately after that, the saved are in heaven. And we are immediately at the Bema seat of Christ. And here on this earth begins Daniel's 70th week, the seven-year tribulation period. This morning we're going to look at this Bema seat of Christ, what that means. When Jesus comes again, and we are called out of here, and we go immediately to stand in front of Him, what does that mean? So now you have your Bibles, and I want you to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to use this verse and one other in the Old Testament to sort of set the tone for what's happening here and what's going to be said. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10. Now I want you to look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 5.10. I want you to notice what it says. It's an interesting verse. It's talking to Christians here. Talking about being absent from the body and being present with the Lord. He's talking about those that are saved and know that we're saved. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, there's a passage of Scripture that is a very concise and clear passage. Every one of us is going to appear, we're going to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ. Now we will often call that the Bema seat. That is uh, simply a, a Greek word that means the place of judgment. And, and, and we're going to stand there. We're going to be there. Everyone, every child of God, every Christian will stand there. Now, uh, be, before I explain that and, and say something that confuses people about appearing before Christ and then give an account of yourself, I, I want you to go to an Old Testament text as well. I want you to turn back with me, if you will, to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. This doctrine is not new. It is not something that is simply promoted and, and propagated in the New Testament. It has always been the will of God that one of these days you and I as believers will give an account of ourselves to Christ. And, and that's the beam of seed of Christ. Now that's always been the will of God. And you find in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the last two verses of the book, that Solomon in his wisdom says the very same thing. Now notice what it says. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work 
into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now, here is the same principle. We find the same principle uh, in the Old Testament as we found in the New Testament, and these are sister passages. Now, I want to draw your attention to something in Ecclesiastes 14, or 12, 14. I, I want you to, to, to notice something that's important. For God shall bring every, what is that word? Work into judgment. Now, if you're in a habit of circling things, underlying things in your Bible, you ought to circle that word work. Now, God is going to bring every work into judgment. Now, oftentimes we, we, we talk about giving account of ourselves. And, and people will say, well, I thought when I got saved, all of my sin was forgiven. It is. I thought all of my sin was gone. It is. Well, then how am I going to give an account uh, to Jesus if, if all of the evil is gone? And you notice in this passage and also in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says every good, and this says evil, and in 1 Corinthians it says good and bad. Uh, so it, it's, it's putting the whole. It's not just one or the other. I am going to give an account of my work. Now, what happened to my sin? Well, uh, go back to the book of Revelation and Revelation chapter 1, verse number 5. There's not a better passage that explains our sin. I'm going to deal with that in just a minute. And then I'm going to separate out sin and work for in the Bible. Not, not just because Mike separates it, but because God separates it. And, and I wanted to show you that what you're going to give an account of, uh, your, your sin's gone. Thank God for that. Our sin's gone. But the truth of the matter is, I've got to give an account of my work. Now, why is my sin gone? Our text in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 5 says this, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, now watch this, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, here's the great truth. At the moment of salvation... What causes you and I to be justified in the eyes of God is not our works. We will never be able to justify ourselves in the sight of God with our works. Matter of fact, Isaiah 64, 6 still says, Our righteousnesses, our works, are as filthy rags before His eyes. By the works of flesh, no flesh shall be justified. But at the moment of salvation, when an individual man, woman, boy, girl, recognizes, I am lost. I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I am a sinner by nature. Because we are Adam's offspring, we all have the sin nature. I am a sinner. I cannot get rid of my sin. By the way, anyone that thinks that you have... 1 John 1 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, as long as we're in this flesh, we're going to battle the sin nature. And so at salvation, God cannot, God will not allow sin into heaven. And when Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood to pay for our sin. And salvation, at the moment of salvation, when an individual asks Christ to save them, the blood of Christ is applied to their life. Now here's a good way to understand that. 
It's not only as if He washed me. It is as if I never sinned. At the moment you get saved and someone trusts Christ, whether it is, whether it is an adult or a child, at that moment, they are a child of God and the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to them through the shed blood and it is as if they never sinned. And, it, and, and by the way, God says He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. You can start east tonight and you'll never, you will never go west. You, just, it, it, you won't run into it again. He says He's put our sin in the sea of His forgetfulness. He on purpose forgets it. By the way, I heard an old guy say this one time, and he put up a sign that said, No fishing. Keep the devil out. Sometimes we like to fish there ourselves and try to bring up our sins and other people's sins. It's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. And he puts our sin behind his back. Now, what happened to my sin? What happened to your sin? It's gone. It is gone because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So whenever that God looks at you and I, He doesn't see us. He sees Jesus and the righteousness of Christ. That is why we're justified. Now, there's great truth in that. And then it's a, a very fundamental Bible doctrine of salvation. I'm afraid sometimes we don't make that clear and we don't explain that. It is the blood that washed the sins. And so he says here, he washes from our sins in his own blood. So when I stand before Jesus, I'm not giving account of my sin because that's gone. When you're standing in front of Jesus, you're not given an account of your sin. That's gone. That's how come we have eternal security. That's why you can't lose your salvation because you didn't do anything to earn it in the first place. Jesus did all the work. And He got rid of your sin when you put your faith in Him. There's great truth in that. It's under the blood. It's washed by the blood of Calvary. So what is it when I appear before the judgment seat that I'm answering for? What is it that you are, when you stand in front of the judgment seat, that you're answering for? Well, if it's not my sin, it's not my sin. It is my work. You say, how do you separate that? All right. So I hope, I hope I've made that part of that clear. At the moment of salvation, the blood covers our sin. That's why it's important to be born again. Water baptism will not wash away your sin. Church membership will not wash away your sin. Religious rituals will not wash away your sin. Uh, being, doing good will not wash away your sin. The only thing that removes sin is the precious blood of Christ that was shed on Calvary that He applied to the mercy seat in heaven. That's it. And once that you have been born again, that blood has been applied by God and the sins dealt with. But I still have to live in this world. And I still live in my flesh. And so do you. And one of these days, if you're saved, you're going to stand before Christ at the beam of seat. Now, by the way, if you're not saved, you say, well, I missed that. No, you didn't. One of these things, we'll deal with the great white throne judgment. And that's where all the lost stand in front of Jesus and He condemns them to the lake of fire for all eternity. At some point in time, every individual will stand in front of Jesus for judgment either as a child of God or as someone that rejected the death of Jesus on Calvary, one or the other. Now today we're going to deal with what happens at the judgment seat of Christ that every one of us stands and behold, He cometh, and we will see Him as we stand in front of Him. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is probably, in my mind at least, 
the clearest text of what the difference between my works and my sin is. And, and, and I want you to understand this. And I've got to give an account for Mike, and you've got to give an account for you. I won't give an account for anybody else, and nobody else will give an account for me. I mean, my goodness, I won't give an account for Elizabeth, and Elizabeth won't give an account for me. I won't give an account for my children, and my children won't give an account for me. We, we, we individually stand in front of Jesus. One of these days, you're going to stand in front of Jesus. And you're going to see Him physically, and you're going to answer Him, and you're going to give an account to Jesus. Man, that ought to, that ought to grab your soul. That ought to cause you to stand up just a little bit about life. Well, what am I going to give an account of? Well, my sin's gone. Well, say, I don't worry about my sin. Well, no, you know, that, that's, that's, that's not what this is about. The sin has already been dealt with. You're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to turn there and get there. We're going to start reading in verse 9. Now, I want you to notice what our position is after salvation. And he really clearly outlines this starting in verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Now, stop just a minute. We are laborers together with God. I was saved October the 2nd, 1977. 15 minutes, 11 o'clock, I got born again. Now at that moment, I became a laborer with God for the kingdom of heaven. Now I didn't know that at that time. My goodness, I, I, y'all know, uh, there is no one that had less knowledge of the Bible at the moment of salvation than I had. I just, I'd never read the Bible. I'd ne- I wasn't brought up in it. Uh, I was on my way to hell and Charlie Shaver showed me that from the Bible, and I believed it, and I trusted Christ. Now, something happened to that. And by the way, there's probably very, very, very few understand that at the moment of salvation. But at the moment of salvation, you become a laborer with Christ to win others to Christ. And we're laboring for the kingdom of heaven. So that's our work. And that's what Solomon said, God will bring every work into judgment. So now that we're saved, our sin's gone. But we are now laborers together with Jesus. Verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. He said, now listen, I laid the foundation for you. And, and, and you need to take heed how you're building on that foundation. Well, what is the foundation? Verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The, the foundation for your faith and your salvation is Jesus alone. There is no other salvation. This is akin to a sister verse in, in John chapter 14 and verse number 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's what verse 11 is saying. He is the foundation. Now, at the moment of salvation, your faith is placed on Christ. He is the solid rock. He is the chief cornerstone. And you are now on Him. Now, now you're a laborer with Him. Even if you didn't realize that, you're a laborer with Him. And I need to take heed what I am doing on that foundation. Now watch the next verse. Verse 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation... Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. So there are six materials that I am building with. 
And there are six materials, if you're saved this morning, that you're building with. If you're saved, you're on the foundation. If you're saved, you're a laborer with Christ, whether you take heed to that or not. Whether you, you think about it or not, whether you recognize it or not, you're still part of the family of God. You're still on the foundation and you're still building every day. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Every day. I'm building every day. You're building every day. As I've gotten older and I've got to recognize this, I try to take heed to how I'm building. You say, you're a preacher. It has zero to be doing with the preacher. It has to do that. I'm a child of God. And I've got to stand in front of my Savior one day and give an account of my work. Now, how do I do that? Next verse. Watch this. Verse 13. Every man's works may be manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Alright? I'm going to stand in front of Jesus someday. And when I stand in front of Him, my sin has been removed by the blood of Christ. It is if I never sinned as far as God is concerned. But I have been a laborer with Him from the moment of my salvation. I have built on that foundation. At he then, God, takes my work that I built and He places it in His refining fire. And when He puts it in there, if it is made of wood, hay, and stubble, do you know what fire does to that? It burns it up. And if it is made of gold, silver, precious stones, it will remain. That's a very simple principle. And he says, now you are a laborer with Christ. Your works are going to be put in the fire and you're going to give an account of them to Jesus. Now I want to finish this text and I'm going to talk about those works. Now watch this next verse, verse 14. If any man's work abide which is built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Alright? At that time, you and I are standing in front of God... By the way, we'll stand there individually. And when he deals with my works, when the smoke clears, if there's anything left, he rewards me for that. When you stand in front of him, and he takes all the labor that you've done from the moment of your salvation, and he places that in the fire, when the smoke drifts away, whatever's left is what he rewards you for. Well, what happens to what burns up? Next verse, verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. What's well, great truth? This is not to determine salvation. Everything you do could burn up, and you're still saved. Why? The blood of Calvary. Your salvation had nothing to do with your works. But this is to judge my works. Now I deal with people every once in a while I say, ah, man, if that's all it is, I don't care. You will care. One of these days you stand in front of Jesus and you have to give an account of your life to Him, your works. And He takes your works and He places them in the fire 
What a shame it'd be for the one that died for your sin, shed his precious blood to cover your wicked sin, and everything you did from the moment of salvation be for your stinking flesh, and it burn up. You will care greatly at that point. That's why I said take heed. You're still saved. Nobody loses their salvation at this judgment seat. You can't lose rewards. But you're not going to lose salvation. So what are the things... When he says in verse 14, If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. What are the rewards? There are five types of crowns that can be given and earned at the Bema seat. And we're going to look at each one of them this morning. And I want to show you what they represent in our lives as laborers. And then we can determine whether what I'm doing is going to go up and smoke or whether it's going to receive a reward. You'll be able to determine what's going to happen with your life when you see what these crowns are and what they represent. But one of these days, we're all going to stand in front of Jesus and give an account for our work. Our sin's done been dealt with by the blood of Calvary. But I am a laborer, and so are you, whether you recognize it or not. And you're going to give an account of that labor to Jesus. Alright, I'm just going to take these in order in your Bible as we're going toward the book of Revelation. No particular order, except just to make it easy to find them. The first one is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24 and 27. So I want you to turn to this first crown. Are you going to see this? All five of these, the Bible is going to say we can receive a crown of righteousness. Or a crown, righteousness is one of them. I got a little ahead of myself. I want you to notice this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now that's a tremendous passage of Scripture. The Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, he said, listen, I bring my body under subjection. Because you know what my concern is? Lest I have preached to others, I myself fall. I'm a castaway. Now he says, he uses a race. And he said, whenever you run in a race, you're running for the prize. And he says, they, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. Now there's a lot of folks that gain a lot of rewards, a lot of crowns. People are crowned all the time for all kinds of events and sports events and things they do. And boy, they've worked hard at it and they're, 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 they're recognizing a crown for their work and for their achievement. 
And he says, now they do it, my flesh does it, for something that will fade away. It's corruptible. But as a child of God, I ought to run for an incorruptible crown. So at the judgment seat, something's going to happen. He's going to put my works in the fire. And part of that works is if I have been temperate in my life. Now, nobody can control that but Mike. And nobody can control it in your life but you. And you say, what do you mean by temperate? Well, have I brought my flesh under subjection? You see, why do I do what I do? Is it to please Mike or is it to please Christ? Now, by the way, you can't mix those two. I'm either trying to please Jesus or I'm trying to please me. And by the way, there's no, there's no, everybody in the world is doing one of those two things. Every Christian is doing one of those two things. Here's how I can tell whether I'm tempered or not. I thought of this and I jotted something down beside my notes. If I get up in the morning, or if I got up this morning, and if I said, I need, right now I'm serving Mike. You catch what I just said? You put whatever you want to put in that. When I say, I need, and you and I fill in that blank, it's not about Jesus, then it's about me. It becomes about me. By the way, follow carefully. I could say, I need to preach a good sermon this morning. That's the flesh. I need to look good this morning. That's the flesh. I need to be clear this morning. That's the flesh. You see, there's a lot of times we're quote-unquote serving God. We're not serving God at all. We're serving self. Whenever that we go to church and say, I tell you what I need in church, I need... Hold on a minute. It's about you then. You see, that's, that's a problem we have with folks with the Word of God. And, and, and they, they want to rewrite it and redo it. And they say, well, I, I need something. It always starts with that. I need something easier. I need something plainer. I need. I need. You see, I can tell when I'm not being temperate. It's when I need. I need. Whether it's with Elizabeth, I need. With my children, I need. Whether it's with my church family, whether it's with my job, in society, whenever it becomes about me, I am not temperate. I'm letting my flesh rule the day. When I die to myself, it is no longer about Mike. It becomes, instead of I need, what do you want me to do? I come here this morning, what do you want me to preach, Lord? What do you want me to say? How do you want me to treat Elizabeth? How do you want me to treat my children? How do you want me to treat my neighbors? How do you, how, how do you want me to live? What do you want me to do in life? You see the difference in those two things? You see, when I'm laboring with Christ, it becomes... Am I laboring with Christ or am I saying, Now Jesus, I tell you what, I'm glad you saved me, but I need this and I want you to do X. And you have that blank. 
that ceases to be about Him and becomes about me. So one of these days I'm going to stand in front of Christ and He's going to take my preaching and He's going to put it in a fire. And if that was done to glorify me, it'll burn up in smoke. Even if it's right doctrine, if it's sound, it was done to glorify me. Y'all follow that? I don't want that to happen. I want to take heed to my labor. And one of the things that every one of us must spend time doing is bringing our body under subjection. Lest after we have preached to others, we become a castaway. Incorruptible crown is a crown of temperance where you bring your body under subjection to Christ. Number two, open your Bibles with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, over just a little bit. So one of these days, I'm going to stand in front of Jesus. He's going to put my works in a fire. And if it was done for Curly, if it was done for me and my flesh, it's going to burn up in smoke. But if I yielded myself to Him, I'll receive a reward for that. By the way, so will you. Now what's the second one? We find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18 through 20, the last three verses of the chapter. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. By the way, we're always hindered by Satan. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ is coming? For ye are our glory and our joy. It's interesting, he says, at his coming... We're talking about, behold, He cometh. There is a crown of rejoicing here. Now, what is that crown of rejoicing? Paul is saying to the church at Thessalonica, he's saying, you're my crown of rejoicing. It is a soul winner's crown. Now, by the way, you know what that is? What am I doing to win people to Christ? What am I doing to cause people to get saved? Now let me break this down a little bit. One of these days, God's going to put my works in the fire. And, and you, you know the most simplest thing that anybody can do to have, a, have part of a crown? Is to have a list of people you're praying for to be saved. There is not one person in this room this morning that could not pray daily for people to be saved. It's not hard. It's easy. It takes a burden. And asking God to save someone. You ought to have a list that when you have your time of prayer, that you ask God to save. You say, who, who, who is this list? People you love. Your family, your friends, your neighbors. A list. It don't have to be long. When I was a teenager, our youth director challenged us to have a list in our Bible. I had five names on it. It doesn't have to be long. You know what? God honors that. That is a laborer for that. By the way, you know what part of that is? You ever passed out one of these? By the way, I really know when people don't know what this is when they say, hey, I got that brochure. This is a track. I always chuckle when somebody says, hey, I got that brochure. No, you got a track. 
Sometimes I write brochures, but they're not tracks. Now, by the way, do you know there's a reward for that? There's a reward for giving somebody one of these, say, hey, will you read this? This tell you, go to heaven. There's a reward for that. There's a, there's a reward for sitting down with somebody and opening up the Word of God and showing them how to be saved. There's a reward for inviting people to church. Hey, I promise you, you get them here, we'll give them the gospel. I promise you, you get them here, and no matter what's in here or in our classes in the back, we're going to major on telling people how to be saved. There, there's, 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 there's a reward in that. It's a soul winner's crown. It's a crown of rejoicing. Now let me ask you, when's the last time you've done anything to get anybody saved? Have you prayed for them? Have you passed out any track? Invite anybody to the house of God? Sure, it's a reward to sit down. It's, I think it's a reward, it is for me, to be able to, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to open up the Word of God and show somebody to get saved. But that's not all that reward is. It is anything in the effort to cause that to happen. So one of these days I'm going to stand in front of Jesus. He's going to put my works in the fire. And if I have done something to, get some, to try to get someone saved, I'm rewarded for that. If you have done something to try to get somebody saved, you're rewarded for that. Number three, not only do we have an incorruptible crown of temperance, bringing ourselves under subjection to Him and the crown of rejoicing and soul winner's crown. Go to 2 Timothy, open your Bible just a little bit, chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and 8. This is the last of the Apostle Paul's words right before he is beheaded in a Roman prison. He knows he's about to die. He knows that. And he writes something and he gives us another crown. Chapter 4, verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered... And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to all of them also that love is appearing. There again, that's one of these crowns. Makes reference at that day, his appearing. When he comes, that's one of these things we can have. What is it? It's a crown of righteousness. What is it for? Faithfulness. There's a lot of things I'll never be able to do because I don't have the ability to do it. There's a lot of things that I'll never be able to accomplish. I, I, I said something this morning to this girl singing. I said, God did not give me the ability to sing. And I know it. And because I know it, I sing anyhow because I don't have any delusion. It's not good. There's a lot of things I'll never be able to do because God did not give me that ability. But everyone can be faithful till death. That's a choice. I can be faithful to my Lord till death. I can make up my mind that when, when it comes my time to die, as Paul was here, or when he comes in the rapture, that I'm still going to be, by the way, reading my same Bible. I'm still going to be praying. I'm still going to be faithful in God's house. I'm still going to be passing out tracts. I'm still going to be trying to win souls. I can still be faithful. I can make up my mind to do that. And there is a crown of righteousness that is given to those that are faithful throughout their life. I didn't understand this at first. I understand it better now. When I first got saved 46 years ago, it was amazing to me 
Sometimes I'd look back at the people that quit. And some of them I know are saved. You say, then they'll go to hell? No, we done dealt with that first in the message. Their sins been covered in the blood. I tell you what will happen at judgment. That life they lived for themselves where they were not faithful to death is going to be put in the fire and it's all going to go up in smoke. What great humiliation that will be. For it to go up in smoke because you were not faithful to Him as He was to you. So there is a crown, an incorruptible crown of temperance, a crown of rejoicing and soul one, a crown of righteousness of faithfulness to death. Now go to James chapter 1. We'll see the fourth one. Now James gives us another crown. James chapter 1, verse 12. And I want you to notice the next crown, the fourth crown. And so we're going to stand in front of Him and our works are going to be put in the fire. Our labors are going to be put in the fire. And what is the fourth one? Blessed is that man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised them that love him. This crown of life is a crown of enduring temptation. Now, by the way, every one of us is going to be tempted. I mean, after you get saved, you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted in a lot of areas. You're going to be tempted in everything that Satan can throw at you. And by the way, your flesh can throw at you. And and he says, blessed is is that man that endureth temptation. Every once in a while I do a preacher and I say, preacher, I'm doing people, I'm trying to help them. They say, preacher, I've just got these temptations. I just don't know if I can withstand. I'm telling you right now. And they say, why is God allowing this? Hey, there's a crown for this. You just make your mind up that you're going to By the way, the only way to overcome temptation is the same way Jesus overcome it. Do you know how Jesus overcame temptation the the 40 days there when Satan tempted him uh, at the first of the ministry? Every time Satan came and tempted Jesus, he answered with, It is written. And he quoted the Scripture. You know the way to overcome temptation? Scripture! When I'm tempted with something, (laughs) Lord, help me with that. What, What do you say about that? And, and by the way, if you'll, if you'll make yourself a reader and a student of the Bible, the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind what you need, when you need it. I guarantee it. And, and the truth of the matter is, enduring temptation. We all face it. We all face it. It's different for each one of us. Our lives are different. We live in different homes. We have different jobs. We have different families. We have different friends. We may live in different parts of the world. And and some of those temptations are particular to us. But the truth of the matter is, we're all tempted by the devil. And Jesus says, if you endure temptation on judgment, I'll give you a crown of life. By the way, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who is not willing that any should be tempted above that He is able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And that's a great verse. God says, hey Mike, yes sir Lord, every temptation you have, I've already made a way for you to escape it, if you'll just take it. 
So whatever the temptation is, God's already made a way out or He wouldn't allow it to happen to any of us. And so at the day of judgment, you know what I'm judged for? What I did with the temptation. Did I take God's way out or did I just throw the towel in? Because that's what's going to burn up. You understand? So there's a route, there's a crown of life for enduring temptation. One last one. I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. There's an incorruptible crown, a crown of temperance. There is a crown of rejoicing, it's a soul winning crown. There's a crown of righteousness, that's faithfulness in life. There's a crown of life that is enduring temptation. And lastly, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 1, it seems at first that it's only to a select group, but I'm going to show you I think it's to everyone. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when a chief shepherd shall appear, behold, he cometh, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So there's a crown of glory that Peter says, hey, we'll get that at his coming. Now what is it for? It is for service to God's people. Now I realize it says elders. He's making, and he's an apostle, he is an elder, and he's speaking to the elders and feeding the flock of God. By the way, I do think that anybody that's put in that position, now watch what I'm about to say. Pastors, evangelists, deacons, Sunday school teachers, bus workers, do you understand that? There is a responsibility. You're going to give an account to what you did in that service. God does not make you a lord over it where you're rough, and you're, but He makes you to where you love them and you're an example to them. You do it for your flesh and it'll burn up. You do it the way God said do it and you receive reward for it. By the way, I, as I got older, I've expanded that. Hey parents, do you recognize you're an example to your children and your grandchildren? What are they seeing out of you? What are they seeing? Are they seeing someone that's temperate? Or are they seeing someone that's self-willed? Are they seeing someone that's a soul winner? Or are they seeing someone that doesn't care about souls? Cares more about pleasure than they do souls. What are they seeing in, in us? Do they see a crown of righteousness and someone that's faithful? Or do they see someone that may be faithful or may not be faithful? What do they see in us? The crown of life of enduring temptation. Do they see you quoting Scripture and enduring hard things and staying faithful to God? Or do they see you not doing that? This crown of glory is for all of us because of the young people that's watching our lives. And there's a great truth in that. And so one of these days, we're going to stand in front of Jesus our sins done been dealt with if you're saved. And He's going to put my works in a fire. And if anything remains, there's one of five crowns that I can get 
One of five crowns you can get. Sure be glory to get them all. You say, what for? I'm done. Let me show you two verses. Revelation chapter 3. Book of Revelation chapter 3. I want you to notice something. Verse number 11. Jesus speaking to the church at Philadelphia. He says something. He gives them a warning about these crowns. You say, I didn't know all that was in the Bible. Oh yeah, it's there. We're going to stand at the judgment seat. We're going to give an account of ourselves. Not of our sin, but of our labor, our work. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 11, Jesus in the warning to the church at Philadelphia, Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. You know what happens sometimes? We let people influence us to where we lose these crowns because we're not serving Jesus. Be very careful not to let somebody take your crown. And once in a while I deal with some real spiritual individual, I don't care if I have any crowns or not. Well, I'm glad you thought that. Chapter 4, verse number 10. Watch carefully what's going to happen with these crowns. And they're going to be wearing them around in heaven. I want you to watch what's going to happen to them. The four and twenty elders fall down before Him that sat on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. How awful would it be to stand in front of Jesus, the One that died for your wicked sin and saved you, empty-handed. Still saved. Empty-handed. The truth of the matter is, I'm going to stand at the judgment. My way, so are you. Behold, He cometh. You're going to see Him face to face. And all of my works are going to be tried in the fire, and all of yours. They either remain, or they go up in smoke. And what remains, we receive one of those five crowns. And then we have the great privilege of casting it back at the feet of the One. Who saved us. You're going to appear. Are you taking heed to your labor? Because you've been building whether you recognize it or not. And that is going to be tried in the fire. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I appreciate you being here this morning.